نحن نقص عليك أحسن القصص بما أوحينا إليك هذا القرآن وإن كنت من قبله لمن الغافلين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولاهما بعد Alhamdulillah, we have done quite a lot uh, in the story of Adam, and yet, and yet we have so much more to do. We had, we talked about uh, the uh, announcement that Allah Azza wa is placing a Khalifa on earth. Uh, we talked about the teaching of the names. Uh, we talked about the creation of Hawa. And as I said, you know, I'm kind of putting all of this together because the actual chronology, to be brutally honest, we are not 100% certain about. But every every one of these many you know, episodes or whatnot definitely took place. It's just a matter of exact uh, chronology. If we were to follow um, you know, uh, uh, the uh, assumption, because it is, it is an assumption that, uh, for example, Surah Baqarah is putting it everything in its exact place, then uh, one of the next things that we need to discuss uh, is the issue of the prostration of the angels. Well, I did jump over Wa'allam Adam al-Asma', but uh, we can talk about the prostration of the angels. So today, inshaAllah, we will pause on this phrase. And it will be the issue of فَسَجَدَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ The prostration of the angels and what that entails. And the uh, prostration of the angels to Adam is actually one of the most common motifs of the entire story. It is mentioned seven times explicitly in the Qur'an, seven times. Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 34, that Adama illa aba wa We said to the angels, prostrate down to Adam. So they all did except for Iblis, who refused and acted arrogantly, thus becoming of the kafirin. This is Surah Al-Baqarah 34. Surah Al-A'raf, verse 11, وَلَقَدَ خَلَقْنَاكُمْ ثُمَّ ثُمَّ قُلْنَا we created you and we fashioned you. Then we said to the angels, prostrate to Adam. All of them prostrated except Iblis. He was not of those who prostrated. Surah Al-Hijr, verse 30. And Surah Saad, verse 73, the exact same phrase occurs. And this phrase, uh, pay attention to it. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. فَسَجَدَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ كُلُّهُمْ أَجْمَعُونَ all of the angels, فَسَجِدَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ The angels, كُلُّهُمْ All of them, أَجْمَعُونَ uh, And this is what is called توكيد or a emphasis. Uh, again, all of them. So كُلُّهُمْ أَجْمَعُونَ All of them, all of them. And we'll, we're going to come back to why this is so important uh, in, in a little while. So this is once again, فَسَجِدَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ All of the angels bowed down, all of them. Surah Al-Isra, verse 61. وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُ لِآدَمَ فَسَجِدُ إِلَّا إِبْلِيسَ قَالَ أَأَسْجُدُ لِمَنْ خَلَقْتَ طِينَ That we said to the angels, bow down to Adam. All of them prostrated except Iblis. And he said, should I bow down to what you created from uh, teen, from uh, clay? And uh, Surah Al-Kaha, verse 50, same phrase. وَيَلْقُلْنَا لِلْمَلَاكَةِ السُّدُ لِآدَمَ فَسَجْدُ إِلَّا إِبْلِيسَ أَبَى And Surah Taha, verse 116. So these are all of the verses that mention the sajda of Adam. So uh, the sajda of the angels to Adam. This concept is also mentioned in the prophetic hadith. So this is, frankly, the most significant motif of the entire story because it is mentioned so many times explicitly and it is also mentioned in the most authentic hadith as well and again just so that we refresh our memories if you have been paying attention to my entire series that I have been doing we talked about uh, Barzakh we talked about uh, Qiyamah we talked about heaven and hell uh, the hadith of the famous hadith of the Shafa'a or intercession has occurred in all of those series it is one of the seminal hadith about our theology the very long hadith the very long hadith about the incidents of the day of judgment and all of mankind going to Adam alayhi salam and then continuing until they reach our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and 
in the famous hadith of the Shafa'a, the people, mankind, will go to Adam and they will say, Anta Abu Nas Khalaqakallahu biyadihi wa asjada laka malaikatahu wa allamaka asma'a kulla shay' fashfa' lana inda rabbik. They will go to Adam alayhi salam and they will say, You are the father of mankind. Allah created you with his hands and he commanded the angels to bow down to you. This is the famous hadith of the Shafa'a. The other hadith as well that I have gone over a number of times, the hadith of Musa alayhi salam, that uh, when he met Adam in the Barzakh area or, or, or in the Alimul Ghaib, he met Adam and he said that, are you our father Adam whom Allah created with his hands and whom Allah blew the ruh into and whom Allah caused the angels to bow down to and whom Allah caused to enter Jannah. Then you ate of the tree and caused us to come down to this earth. The famous hadith and we're going to come back to this as well in because again, it's a part of our series that we'll be discussing. But once again, the phrase occurs and caused the angels, وَأَسْجَدَ, not sajada, وَأَسْجَدَ means Allah commanded the angels to bow down to you. So it is very clear, therefore, that Allah Azza wa Jal commanded the angels to bow down to Adam. And this is something that is, again, every single Muslim who reads the Quran is aware of this. Now, uh, before we get on to some other issues, uh, very few people in our history um, have sought to reinterpret this. And there are a few names that are not well known, let us say, they're not mainstream. And they say that rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the angels to bow down to Him, to Allah. And Adam was in the direction, was in the Qibla. And they say this, well, why they say this is again, two, three different opinions. For today's, we'll concentrate on one group amongst them. They say this, uh, one group says that it is not appropriate that uh, the creation bows down to another creation. And so uh, they say the angels did not bow down physically, rather, uh, well, actually, so let me pause here. Uh, one group actually says that when Allah says sajada, he, they, he, they, uh, it doesn't mean to bow down. It means that they honored him verbally because they don't want the angels to bow down. And another group said that, well, they did bow down, but it was to Allah. And Adam uh, was basically put there uh, in the Qibla, if you like, and not that it was meant for him. And uh, Ibn Taymiyyah uh, and others challenge this interpretation. And they say that this interpretation, even though some people might have said it, it simply does not add up to the Quranic narrative. It simply contradicts the explicit uh, testimony of the Quran for a number of reasons. Firstly, Allah says that, Usjudu li Adam, sajadu li Adam. Li here means two and four. Li here means you are prostrating to Adam. It is li, and the lamb over here, it is directly a causation. It is linking the sajda for the sake of Adam. And this is demonstrated clearly by the prohibition in the Quran to prostrate to the sun and moon. Allah says, la tasjudu lishamsi wa la lil qamari, the lamb here. And it is understood that those who bow down to the sun and the moon, they're bowing down to the sun and moon to worship them, those previous pagan religions. So the same lamb is used. So the same lamb that Allah says, do not prostrate to the sun and moon, Allah used it prostrate to Adam, lamb over here. We're going to explain what, what is the difference in the prostrations. But the point here is that the prostration was for the sun and Allah said, don't prostrate. And here the prostration was for Adam and Allah said, prostrate. So it is for Adam. Secondly, uh, prostrating, those that said that it was in the Qibla and Adam happened to be there, that when you bow down uh, and you intend to honor Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever comes in the way is not something that you're showing respect to. So when we pray between us and Mecca are a thousand, 10,000 objects. It, it means nothing. There is no respect given if something is put, you know, like we can pray to a sutra. You know, our intention is to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we put something in front of us, that sutra is not becoming an object of, of honor. So to claim that Adam was put there and the sajda was for Allah, it also does not make any sense. And of course, a key point that Ibn Taymiyyah and others bring up, when Iblis became irritated, Iblis became irritated because Adam was shown honor. Allah says that Iblis says, you see this entity that you have honored over me 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Iblis that Lam He refused to prostrate. Why? Because he understood that the prostration was for the honor of Adam alayhi salam. It was for the honor of Adam alayhi salam. Now, over here, if somebody says, how can we be commanded to prostrate to other than Allah? Or how can the angels be commanded to prostrate to other than Allah? The response is that prostration is an act of worship only when it is done with the intention to worship. And this is the reality of all actions of worship. The, the actions of worship, in order for it to constitute worship, must have the niyyah of ibadah. If there is no niyyah of ibadah, then it might be permissible, it might be impermissible depending on what the Sharia says. It might be permissible if the Sharia allows it, it might be impermissible if the Sharia does not allow it. It might even become obligatory if the Sharia commands us to do it. So we do tawaf around the Kaaba and no Muslim on earth, no Muslim on earth wants to a'udhu billah worship the stones of the Kaaba, the rocks of the Kaaba. No Muslim does this. We do it because Allah commanded us to honor. So when we do tawaf around the Kaaba, it becomes an obligatory action of Hajj and of Umrah, and it becomes an action of worship. If somebody were to do tawaf around an idol, that same action of tawaf becomes an action of shirk because they have directed their because they intend to worship the idol because there is an intention of doing something that is uh, uh, to another god and showing an act of veneration. Uh, and if somebody does this to uh, something that they think they're venerating for the sake of Allah, this will be an evil heresy and it will be a stepping stone uh, to shirk. But if they believe in their minds that Allah has commanded them to do this and that they're coming closer to Allah, this will be a bid'ah of the highest magnitude. But in and of itself, as long as they're intending to worship Allah, it will not in and of itself constitute shirk. The same goes to prostration. That that when Allah commands you to prostrate, then you prostrate. And that prostration becomes an action of worship. And uh, when the Sharia uh, in previous Sharia's allowed a human to bow down in front of another human being, it was mubah, it was allowed. It was not an action of worship, neither was it bid'ah or kufr. And so when uh, the brothers of uh, of Yusuf and the father and mother of Yusuf or the father and aunt of Yusuf to be more precise. When they prostrated in front of Yusuf, whether the prostration here was bowing down or whether it was fully on their faces, either way, that is something that is mubah. It's permissible in their sharia for them to bow down. But for us to bow down, our Prophet Sallallahu said, it is not allowed for a makhluq to bow down to another makhluq. This is a fiqhi ruling. It is a fiqhi ruling. And it is not allowed to do this. He did not say that every bowing down is shirk because it is not shirk. It is not shirk in and of itself. It will only be shirk when you have the action to do ibadah. So you have the intention to do ibadah. So if in some Eastern cultures, I actually had a Q&A, was it two weeks ago about bowing down? I said, it is not allowed. It is haram to do this out of respect. It is haram to do it out of respect. It is not shirk. You don't become a pagan if in some cultures you bow down to touch your parent or whatnot. I say our sharia does not allow it, but it is not kufr. It is not shirk. So when Allah commands you, it becomes ibadah. When Allah allows you and you do it to any entity that is allowed, then it is neither ibadah nor it is haram or shirk. When Allah forbids you and you do it, it becomes haram. And when you do it for the sake of other than Allah, it becomes shirk. So sajda is an action that Allah has prohibited haram for anything other than him in our sharia. But in the previous sharias, in the sharia of Musa, in the sharia of Ibrahim, in the sharia of Adam alayhi salam, it was allowed, fiqh, the changes, sharia changes from prophet to prophet. What might have been allowed for some prophets is not gonna be allowed for other prophets. And so the fact that uh, Adam alayhi salam, Allah commanded the angels to bow down. It is a bowing that Allah commanded and it was done out of obedience to Allah and it was done to honor Adam. There is no shirk involved. There is no tawheed and shirk. The tawheed is the obedience of Allah, not the action of bowing to Adam. The tawheed or the ibadah, you obey Allah. 
Allah said to the angels bow, so they bowed down. That is their ibadah. They are not worshiping Adam in any sense uh, or fashion or form. Uh, another uh, point that we need to mention is that, and again, just FYI, that uh, you have some interpretations of some early scholars, including some tabi'un, who said that the angels of the heavens bowed down, and some said the angels of the earth bowed down. In other words, they're restricting which of the angels bowed down, and uh, this has been interpreted by uh, uh, this position has been championed by a number of famous authorities of the past. However, by and large, those opinions kind of sort of went on the sideline, and the position that is now the default and the majority is that every single angel without exception bowed down to Adam. Now this is a monumental point that I cannot emphasize enough because the very fact that all of the angels gathered at one particular place and one particular time, and the very fact that amongst them was the most significant of angels, this means Jibreel alayhi salam, Mikael alayhi salam, Israfil alayhi salam, every single angel whom Allah had ever created. And the quantity of angels is something that we cannot even imagine. None can count the armies of Allah other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To have every single angel in existence gather at one location and to have them all simultaneously bow down our minds cannot even comprehend that image and picture, and yet it happened. So every single angel bowed down. How do we know this? Again, because of the context and the words used. Firstly, Allah says, وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ We said to the angels, الْمَلَائِكَةِ And generally speaking, when you have al over here, it means all of them. Okay, so we said to all of them. Then Allah says, فَسَجَدَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ So all of the angels. Then Allah says, كُلُّهُمْ And كُلُّهُمْ, it is, comes under uh, a group of words that is called uh, tawqeed or emphases. And when you have an emphases, you are negating the possibility of exaggeration. You're making it literal, okay? So you say, I called you a dozen times. No, I mean a dozen. So if I said I called you a dozen times and I left it at that, then you may think I called you five, seven times, whatever. When I say I called you a dozen times, no, literally I mean a dozen times I called you, if I were to say that, right? So the understanding here, when I say, no, that I really mean a dozen, then you mean that you are, you are making an emphasis here. Arabic has its version of emphasis. And one of those is kulluhum. So the angels, all of them. And then to add to this is a double emphasis. And to have a double emphasis is rare in the Quran. It is rare. And it is rare in the Arabic language because again, uh, you don't really, even when you speak, you don't have, a, you can have an emphasis, yeah. To have a double emphasis is very rare. And generally speaking, it's only done to make a point. And here we have a double emphasis. فَسَجَدَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ كُلُّهُمْ أَجْمَعُونَ أَجْمَعُونَ once again means all of them. So, kulluhum anajma'un, they are serving the same purpose, but there are different words to serve that purpose. And the purpose here is to underscore the reality that every single angel, no, I mean every one of them, every last one of them, that is what the Quran is telling us. And then the fact that Allah says, illa iblis, that except for iblis except for Iblis. The fact that Iblis is made to be the single exception. And inshallah, in a later lecture, we'll talk about the reality of Iblis and whether he was from the angels and the jinn and whatnot. We'll talk about that inshallah in the next lecture. But today we'll say, illa Iblis. The fact that one entity is removed automatically indicates that every single other entity is included. So if I were to say the entire class, all of them were present except for Ahmed, the fact that I mention Ahmed by name as the exception is actually another emphasis that no, I mean all of them were there because I'm mentioning one person that wasn't. So when I take that one person out, the implication is 
everybody else was there. And the fact, by the way, so inshallah, all of you know this, that, that Iblis is not from the angels, but there is a huge controversy in early Islam. That controversy has gone now completely. I'm not aware of any modern alim or sheikh that holds this opinion anymore. And this shows you sometimes you have interesting interpretations in early Islam, and they're simply discarded and left in the books of history. There were quite a number of famous scholars who held the view that Iblis is from the angels. And when we hear this, we are shocked. What? Anybody could say this? How could anybody say this? Well, they did, but it is the wrong opinion. Iblis is from uh, uh, the jinn, obviously. He is not from the angels. But the point though, that Iblis is not from the angels. And yet still Allah says that the angels, all of them, I mean all of them prostrated except for Iblis. The fact that Iblis is not from the angels and yet still he is being mentioned that he did not prostrate is actually an indication that I mean every single angel because Iblis was not from the angels. Still Allah says, that one entity did not prostrate to further indicate that I mean every single angel. Therefore, even an entity that is not from the angels when he didn't participate, I'll mention him by name so that you understand that every single angel uh, actually prostrated. And the phrasing as well, فَسَجَدَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ كُلُّهُمْ أَجْمَعُونَ It actually indicates two very interesting points. Number one, we already mentioned, and that is that all of the angels prostrated. And number two, that they prostrated at the same time in unison. So both quantity and time, time and place are both being demarcated or mentioned in this verse. That it's not as if multiple batches kept on coming and one batch did the, 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 the sajda and then they left, another batch came. No, this verse, it's phrasing and the words used indicates that every single angel in existence was brought in front of Adam and that every last one of them simultaneously fell down in sajda in front of Adam. And this is uh, shown by the words used and one of the famous early grammarians of the Arabic language by the name of Al-Mubarrid who died 286 Hijrah that he was asked that can we assume that the angels came in batches and then you know they all did sajda in batches and he replied if Allah had only said al-malaika," then yes we could have interpreted because the angels prostrated so they could have come in batches then when Allah says kulluhum this means every single one of them without exception. And then when he says, Ajma'un, this means they did it at the same time all together in unison, right? So I want you to understand this point. Kulluhum, from this famous grammarian, and also by the way, the uh, one of the most famous mufassirs uh, of the Quran, the Mu'tazili al-Zamakhshari, he has a, a similar point uh, that he mentions over here as well, that when Allah says kulluhum, this means every last angel. When Allah says ajma'un, this means they did it together in jama'ah. They did it in congregation. Every single angel is coming and doing it, gathering together at the same time. So, fasajada al-malaikatu kulluhum ajma'un. Now, the other thing that, that uh, uh, again, we find, uh, again, some variations that, what does sajada here mean? And I already mentioned, uh, you know, uh, one opinion, which has been held by some very, yani, some people, but you know, not a big deal that we can just discard them, they're not well known. A very small group of people in the past, they said that sajada here, uh, does not mean that they physically bowed down. It means that they uh, praised Adam. So sajada here means respect. But uh, this is clearly not the primary meaning of sajda. And when you say sajada, when you say sajada in Arabic, uh, the primary meaning that comes to mind is to bow the head until it touches the earth. And that is what we call it in English a prostration. Now, it is true. It is true that linguistically to lower the head could also be called sajda metaphorically without necessarily touching your head on the ground. So you can say when somebody does rukur, raka'ah is to bow down without touching the ground. Sajda is to bow down while touching the ground. That you can say that when you say raka'ah, you could imply that his head touched the crown. And when you say sajada, you could imply that he just bowed his head down. So raka'ah and sajada, even though each one has a specific meaning, 
at times they can act as homonyms for one another. They can substitute for one another. So how do we know that the angels actually bowed down flat on their faces? And maybe they didn't just bow down, you know, out of respect a little bit, rather than the full, the full, yani sajda to the ground. How do we know this? Well, a number of ways. Firstly, the fact that the word sajda is used without any uh, indication that we should change it from its actual meaning to the secondary meaning of bowing the head. When Allah says, you know, in half a dozen verses, sajda, 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 and there's no evidence to suggest otherwise, then the primary meaning of sajda, which is well acknowledged in the Arabic language, is to bow until the head touches the ground. And secondly, there is actually an explicit adjective that is uh, used here. Uh, uh, sorry, an explicit verb that is used that even indicates that it is a full sajda. And that is in Surah Al-Hijr, verse 28 onwards, that Allah says, Inni khaliqum basharam min teen. I'm about to create a man from clay. Fa'idha sawaituhu, when I have formed him, wanafakhtu uh, fihim ruhi and I blow my ruh into him, fa'qa'u lahu sajideen. Fa'qa'u. Qa'a means from waqa'a. Waqa'a means to fall down completely, right? Waqa'a, and that's why إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ This is the waqa'a. And so, فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ When Allah is saying that waqa'a sujjadan, right? So here, when you have the extra uh, emphases of waqa'a, so faqa'u, because again, if you know your Arabic, you would drop the wow when you are commanding. Uh, when you're commanding and it begins in a wow, then you eliminate the wow and you start with the qaf here. But that's, you know, uh, everybody who knows morphology knows this. The point is, Allah is using the verb waqa'a. And when you say waqa'a uh, sajidan, there is no other interpretation than to fall flat on the face. And therefore, the angels all of them, every last one of them, simultaneously gathered in front of Adam السلام, and they fell flat on their faces, respecting him and honoring him and obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worshiping Allah, not worshiping Adam. Honoring Adam, respecting Adam, but worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We also actually have another uh, indication that the sajda was a full sajda. The sajda was a full sajda. And that is uh, in a hadith in uh, Sahih Muslim that the Prophet wasallam said that when the son of Adam uh, recites a verse of prostration and then recites uh, and then prostrates, shaitan abandons him, flees and cries, woe to me. The son of Adam was commanded to prostrate and he prostrated so he shall enter Jannah. And I was commanded to prostrate, but I refused. And so for me is Jahannam. So when Iblis sees the son of Adam prostrate, a full prostration, he is reminded of what he was commanded to do. And he is reminded he did not do that. And therefore, once again, we surmise that the angels literally bowed down completely to Adam by touching their faces onto their uh, uh, onto the ground in front of Adam alayhi salam. So uh, this is uh, some of the points that we can derive from uh, this uh, famous uh, story uh, or the incident of Sajdal al-Mala'ika. Now uh, another point that uh, uh, we need to uh, point out here is that uh, when, uh, I forgot to mention, by the way, of course, that there is unanimous consensus. I forgot to mention this point, to go back a few minutes. There is unanimous consensus amongst all the scholars of Islam that the sajda of the angels was a sajda of tashrif and takreem and not a sajda of ibadah. And this is, there is no two difference of opinion, obviously, because obviously no Muslim is going to say that the angels worshipped um, Adam. Uh, and we have plenty of quotes here, the famous uh, Abu Bakr ibn al-Arabi, the famous Maliki scholar and the uh, the, the faqih and the mufassir. He said, اتفقت الأمة على أن السجود لآدم عليه السلام لم يكن سجود عبادة. The ummah has unanimously agreed that the prostration that was done to Adam was not a prostration of worship. And al-Razi says, أجمع المسلمون على أن ذلك السجود ليس بسجود عبادة. And al-Qurtubi says that 
uh, uh, the, the Ummah has agreed that it was not a sajda of ibadah. So again, this is well known. There was no, uh, there was no sajda of ibadah that was done to uh, Adam alayhi salam. So it was a sajda of tashrif, a sajda of takrim. So you give honor and you give uh, a, a karam uh, or you dignify Adam and it is not a sajda of ibadah. Now, interesting footnote here, um, and I don't mean to confuse you, but again, just interesting things to know that there have been some uh, bizarre interpretations of the story. We can just put this in the footnote, FYI, so that you can be aware. There were some, you know, mystical, uh, extreme mystical figures who actually flipped uh, the story around and actually tried to argue a semi-defense of Iblis. Unbelievable, right? So they tried to argue a semi-defense of Iblis and uh, they said that uh, Iblis uh, refused to bow down to Adam because he is in fact perfecting monotheism and Tawheed. He did not want to glorify any being other than Allah. So he refused to bow down out of respecting Allah and honoring Allah. And this is a complete distortion because Allah says, Abba was takbara. Iblis was arrogant and he refused. The Quran does not hint at all that Iblis did not bow down because he did not want to honor other than Allah. Rather, the Quran is very clear that Iblis was arrogant and Iblis had kibr and Iblis felt that he was better. I am better than him. And uh, this interpretation uh, was, uh, you can read this up, the book has actually been translated. There was a mystical person by the name of Al-Hallaj, he is well known, and he wrote a book, Kitab al-Tawasin, which is actually translated uh, into English, you will find this, so if you're interested in that type of stuff and whatnot. So he completely, you know, as they say, flipped the script, as they say. And of course, I mean, uh, he had his, he was not viewed to be mainstream uh, in his lifetime, and um, uh, he was actually eventually executed for heresy, but still you have people who want to interpret him this way and that way, and you know, we leave his affair to Allah, but what he said was wrong. That uh, there is no way you can take this story and flip it around in any way. Iblis refused to bow down because he was arrogant and uh, he refused to worship uh, the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, another point about the uh, story of uh, the angels bowing down to Adam, it is very interesting that this story is by and large, generally speaking, it is unique to the Quran. It is not mentioned in the standard uh, uh, versions of the Bible. It is not something that the average Christian or Jew is even aware of. So this is a motif, our Quranic motif, that is absent from the folklore and from the uh, common narrative of the Jewish and, and Christian uh, faith traditions. And it shows us again that our religion uh, does indeed obviously have facts and has things that the other religions do not have. However, just FYI, you should be aware that of recent, uh, there have been some uh, you know, murmurings in, in, in academic literature that there is a, a, a very rudimentary version of this story in some very obscure uh, apocryphal Jewish uh, sources that predate Islam. And these are not well known at all. The average uh, person of the Jewish or Christian background would have never heard of these uh, uh, passages. You have to understand the Bible as it exists today, the Old Testament, the New Testament, you know, these are their standard uh, variations and whatnot. Now beyond these, there are uh, what is called apocrypha, that they are not considered to be uh, orthodox or mainstream. And you you know, nobody is aware of them except if you're really studying deep and whatnot. So there is, uh, uh, you know, one such uh, uh, tract that is called The Life of Adam and Eve, believe it or not, that's the name of the tract, The Life of Adam and Eve. It was written uh, maybe third century CE, uh, you know, uh, or maybe fourth century, we're not sure. And there is a very, very rudimentary version that when the angels heard this word, they all bent their knees and worshiped him, i.e. worshiped Adam. So in this version, they worshiped Adam, but the point is they bent the knee. And from this, you have some, you know, academics jumping up saying, oh, this is where the Quran gets and whatnot. But again, you know, we have to go over this over and over again that when non-Muslim researchers uh, who uh, have their own views about the Quran and whatnot, when they find such parables, and this is, I want you to know this uh, because we're gonna come across this, or maybe you will read about it in a journal or in whatnot, that they find the Quranic story, and then they find a parable that predates it. 
And they say, aha, look, uh, they find a similarity that predates it. They say, aha, look, this is the origin of where the Quran got it from. This is the source of the uh, Quran. But of course, this goes back to a very secular notion. They do not believe that there is a divine being. They don't even entertain the possibility that there is revelation from Allah. So obviously, obviously, if that is taken out of the equation, then you will have no alternative but to say, oh, if there is an obscure Jewish tradition that says the angels bowed down and bent the knee, then clearly the Islamic scripture must have taken it from this, you know, uh, scripture from the Jewish faith tradition. But see, firstly, uh, obviously there are so many variations between every Quranic story and every even mainstream biblical account. There is no story that is in the Quran that is copied and pasted from uh, the current Bible as we know it or from apocryphal sources of the Bible of the Old and New Testament. Clearly showing you that there is never a copying and pasting. There is never what we call plagiarization. Every story is slightly uh, different. And secondly, of course, we as Muslims, if this, if this apocryphal, uh, you know, tract has been proven to be predating Islam, which is an if that is not 100% certain. If there is, then we say the Prophet Musa salam would have told his followers something of this nature, and it was preserved in some, you know, way or fashion or form until it ended up in a very obscure reference. And our Prophet Muhammad was also told by Allah in the Quran. So the origin of the story is one. Why is that surprising? It's not a big deal to us if you find something common in the Judeo-Christian sources and in Islam. On the contrary, here's the irony, it increases our Iman because the source is one. So how could, you know, so the, the researchers are saying, aha, look, we found it in this obscure reference. SubhanAllah, our Prophet is in Mecca. Right? There is no obscure, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, apocryphal work floating around in the marketplace of Mecca, right? It's impossible that somebody in Mecca would even have known of something like this, which is discovered in one manuscript copy in some faraway place in Iraq or in some Babylonian, you know, Jewish diaspora. Impossible that the people of Mecca would be familiar with this. And our Prophet was not even reading and writing. He didn't have a massive library. So the fact that you discover something in some obscure source in the middle of nowhere. For us, it actually is a further affirmation that that both of these, the Prophet Musa and the Prophet Muhammad their source is the same and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for us, we don't care if there are similarities. On the contrary, these similarities only increase our Iman. Now, the next point that we move on to, so we understand that the angels bowed down uh, to Adam alayhi salam. And that they all did it simultaneously. Now, what what is the result? Like, what, what is the purpose? What, 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 what does it demonstrate, really? So when you think about this reality, you realize that this commandment, which has been mentioned this incident which has been mentioned more than any other incident in the story of Adam. There's nothing mentioned in the Adamic story that is more common than this motif. Why is Allah constantly bring? Because I said in the last in the last lecture, the word Khalifa only occurs once. That in Nijailu for Khalifa only once. That's it. Never in the whole Quran does Allah mention uh, that Adam is a Khalifa except in one verse. However, Sajad al Malaika seven times, half a dozen times. Why? One of the most profound realizations from this command, from this incident, from this verse, is the fact that Allah wants to remind us of the high status that He has conferred upon our father Adam, and through Adam upon all of us as Banu Adam, as mankind. Because Adam, who is he? He is the first model of mankind, the prototype. He is the primogenitor. He is the very first bashar, the very first insan. You know, I mean, in, in our world, I mean, again, I'm not comparing, but so that we understand when a company, when, uh, you know, a factory, when, you know, I mean, Apple, whatever, it produces the first of anything. There's a big show and a big convention and the media is there and pictures and VIP is invited, you know, the same thing goes. And again, I'm just giving examples so you understand, don't, you know, read in and whatnot, but a movie is done or anything that that's the premiere that's going to happen. You invite the creme de la creme and 
you show and you do and what not, right? So it is an indication of how fancy the product is. Uh, uh, you indicate how fancy the product is by the show that occurs when you unveil the product, by who is in the audience, by what is happening. And of course, this is something we understand from our world. To Allah belongs the more perfect example. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the prototype, when he created version, the, 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 the primary version, i.e. that version is gonna be our father, I should say. So I should say he created our father. When he created the first human, what was the honor that was given? What was done to indicate to the rest of the creation the status of this new creation? It was to call the most noble of all of the creation that existed at, up until that point in time, and that is the angel. And to call every single one of them and to bring forth those whom Allah calls muqarrabun, those whom Allah calls kiram, those whom Allah says they never disobey me, those whom Allah Azza created from a light, those whom Allah blessed to fly and to never disobey. And in that group is none other than Jibreel and Mikael and Israfil. Do you know who Jibreel is? Jibreel, as Allah says in the Quran, is of the magnificent miracles of Allah. Jibreel it himself is a miracle of Allah. And Jibreel's existence and to see him is one of the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you imagine Jibreel is told to bow down to Adam alayhi salam. Mikael is told to bow down. Israfil. These three angels are so powerful. The Prophet would make dua to Allah that, O oh Allah, the Rabb of Jibreel and the Rabb of Mikael and the Rabb of Israfil. Allah is the Rabb of Jibreel and Mikael. And Allah mentions him by name in the Quran. Whoever is an enemy to Jibreel, he is my enemy. This is Jibreel. So to have Jibreel come along with billions and billions and billions and billions of angels and to have all of them line up row upon row and to have have them bow down in front of our father Adam. What greater honor can there be? What higher privilege can even be imagined to this creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And that is why Iblis was burning with envy, burning with jealousy. This hadha, even the pronoun is meant to prod, this being, he couldn't even mention by name, he couldn't even say Adam, you see this creature that you have honored above me. Iblis understood what has happened is the highest honor. Iblis, that one incident caused Iblis to flip to become the worst of the worst and to be our mortal enemy until the day of judgment. That was the level of honor that was given to our father Adam alayhi salam. And in this is the clearest indication, there is no shadow of a doubt. And there are opinions, believe it or not, and I went over them when I did uh, some other lectures of mine, you can listen to those. Uh, but there are opinions, who is better, uh, the angels or the righteous of mankind? And there is no question that this incident indicates that the righteous of men are more blessed than the angels. The good of men are more blessed in the eyes of Allah than the angels themselves, because the angels are told, Jibreel, is told to prostrate to Adam. Enough, QED, proven, that's it. It is demonstrated when an entity like Jibreel and all of the angels are gonna demonstrate who is the one whom Allah has chosen, then that has proven everything. In fact, we can go even further than this because at this point in time, Frankly, Adam hasn't really done much in terms of actions. He's literally just been created. He's literally come out, as we say in English, of the factory line. He literally just comes out, right? He hasn't even entered Jannah yet. He has just been newly minted, freshly created. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the angels, bow down to this entity. And this shows us, we can go even further, and we can say, listen to this carefully, that the genus of men, genus here means species, the genus of men is in and of itself more blessed and preferred and noble in the eyes of Allah than the genus of angels. Even though the wicked of men have lost that privilege and they have gone down, but 
overall, comparing species to species, comparing creation to creation, the very fact that the angels are told to bow down to a newly minted, freshly created human who does not yet have much hasanat, he hasn't done much any, he has literally just been created. In it, there is an indication that Allah Azza wa Jal has preferred the Bani Adam overall over the other creation. So in this story, dear Muslim, and with this we come to the ending of our lectures today, uh, in this story and in this command, I want you to go home when you listen to this lecture or later on or whatever, if you're home, I mean to like later on after this lecture, I want you to literally imagine what this implies to me and you. When Allah took our father, that is our father, there's literally a direct line between us and him. That is our prototype. That is our first model that Allah created. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the most noble of his creation up until that point in time, the angels, that I want you to bow down to this new creation. How should that make me and you feel? Should we not feel a sense of humility that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us so much honor? He has bestowed upon us so much karam that the angels themselves have bowed down to us. And should we therefore then not try to live up to the potential that Allah wants from us? Because this also shows us, by the way, that the default of man, the default, soon as they're created, the default of man is that they are better than all the creation, better than the other creation there. Now, if man does not reach that default, if man fails, then no doubt he will go asfala safidin, right? If a person has the potential and then turns his back, well then completely gone. But if they take advantage of that potential, they will go to the highest of the high. That's why Allah says, We have indeed honored the children of Adam. Allah is reminding us, we have honored you, and we have preferred them over many whom we have created. We have preferred the children of Adam many degrees. Tafdila here means by many degrees. And so Allah has created us and the default of our status, we are the highest of the uh, creation in our particular world that we know of. And we have the potential to maintain that high degree. But if we don't maintain it, we turn our backs to it, then we seek Allah's refuge, we will go down to the asfala safilin. Now one very quick final point, and this is a very deep point, and um, Allah mustan, and it's actually a bit of a controversial one as well. Um, and it raises a lot of questions and a lot of issues. I have said we are the best of the creation in our world and that the angels bow down to us indicates we are better as the default of the angels. Does this mean that mankind is the most honored of all of Allah's creations in all of the uh, you know creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Uh, this is a question that Believe it or not, it has been discussed by some of our ulama and actually many of them believe that that is indeed the case. And they use a number of evidences of them is a very sensitive evidence. Uh, and that is the claim that uh, uh, that uh, the Sayyid Waladi Adam, the Habib, the Mustafa, the Rahmatul Alameen, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is the Ashraful Makhluqat, is the most honored of all of the creation. And this is a very sensitive topic because in our world that we live in, if anybody uh, is deemed to uh, not be respectful to the level that uh, uh, people understand that immediately uh, people become very emotional and you know charges of blasphemy and takfir are done and it's difficult to have an academic discussion uh, when uh, people's emotions are clouded to this level. Uh, nonetheless a number of ulama have discussed this and actually quite a, a lot of ulama have pointed out that the term ashraful makhluqat does not actually occur in the Quran and in the Sunnah. It is not something that is found in our text. What we find is Sayyidu Waladi Adam, the leader of the children of Adam. So he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is without a shadow of a doubt, the single most blessed and the most preferred and the most honored of the species of mankind, of the children of Adam. And there is no doubt that he occupies a higher place than uh, that of the angels. And there is no human being that competes with that status. But to claim from this that mankind, human beings, homo sapiens, 
are the most honored of all of the creations of Allah. We do not know how many other creations have existed or, or exist in dimensions other than our own or might exist after us. We do not know uh, other worlds. We do not know what is out there. And so to make this claim uh, seems to be one that there is no basis for, and my humble opinion in this regard is that this is from the ilm al-ghayb. We do not know. There is no indication explicitly in the Quran or in the Sunnah about other creations that Allah might have created or not. So we should remain quiet about this and we should stick with what we know without a doubt. And that is that. And that's why I said in the world that we know, in our dimension, in our creation, there is no question that Allah Azza wa has placed us at the very uh, height of this world as we know it, this dunya and this creation as we know it. And this is a great, great honor. And we should be humbled at this honor and we should live up to that potentiality. But to then extrapolate and talk about ilm al-ghayb and talk about other creations of Allah that we have no knowledge of and other worlds or other whatnot, we should remain silent because Allah uh, has not told us anything of this and that knowledge is of no benefit to us. So uh, we should therefore, uh, and, and by the way, this also kind of fits in with the verse as well in Surah Al-Isra, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ That we have honored the children of Adam. وَفَضَّلْنَاهُمْ عَلَىٰ كَثِيرٍ مِمَّنْ خَلَقْنَا And we have preferred them over many, كَثِير And Allah did not say over each and every creation I have ever created in the history of time and whatnot because we have to realize our creation and our world could potentially be one out of many, many, many more. That's something we don't know. And I have spoken about this in other lectures in my seerah as well and in other, I have Q&As as well that I have talked about this issue uh, and Ibn Taymiyyah and others talk about this as well and when he talks about you know um, are there other creations and whatnot and in the end of the day all of this is speaking without firm knowledge so we leave this to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we best stick with the wordings of the Quran and the Sunnah and so we state mankind is the most honored of the creation of Allah in our given world that much is clear and we leave uh, and there's no need to go beyond uh, this. And in the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Insha'Allah, we will continue uh, uh, soon and come back to the story of the creation of Adam and talk about uh, the uh, reaction of uh, Iblis and what we can benefit from uh, that, uh, the arrogance that Iblis demonstrated and why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this over and over again. Until then, Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. لقد كان في قصصهم عبرة لأولي الألباب ما كان حديثا يفترى ولكن تصديق الذي بين يديه وتفصيل كل شيء وهدى وهدى ورحمة لقوم Minum.